0: Ahoy, Mets fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue in Conversation. My name is Brian Salvatore, and today Chris McShane and I are joined by punk rock legend and big Mets fan, Brian Baker. Brian Baker is the founding bass player of Minor Threat, one of the most important punk rock bands of all time. Since the mid-90s, he has played with Bad Religion as well. He is also in two new bands, Fake Names and Beach Rats, and we'll hear about all these bands a bit, as well as Brian's Mets fandom, although I must say, Chris and I go pretty deep into music here because we are both huge fans of Brian's. He is one of the nicest guys we've ever had a chance to chat with, super fun, really into um the current Mets team he's a new Mets fan there's so much interesting stuff in this interview if you like music if you like punk rock in particular you're gonna love this so stay tuned and enjoy Brian I am a child of baby boomers who played me Beatles records when I was a kid that's the first musical memory I have what is the first music that like lit your you know lit your fuse for music when you were a kid
2: uh, strangely enough, the Beatles. Okay. Uh, because I'm a child of baby boomers who uh, who, who really love the Beatles. I was very fortunate. My parents had a great record collection, and so uh, the first Beatles was absolutely the first band. And then they had Stones and the Band and Elton John. A pretty you know eclectic mix of of stuff. So I was uh, I was just lucky to be in a musical family.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there a Beatles record that you associate with being like for me? My, one of my earliest memories is my mom teaching me to put the needle down on the American Help soundtrack, which begins with sitars before yeah. going into the song Help. So that's one of my first memories. Do you have like a, a Beatles memory from when you were a little kid?
2: Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's Revolver Okay. Um, and it's staring at that Klaus Foreman cover for ever. Not high because I'm what, six, <laughs> you know, uh, and that it turns out the first uh, song I learned on guitar was Taxman. And so that kind of works well with, you know, that's, I guess that's why it's because revolver was my obsession. And uh, then I found out later that George Harrison and I uh, share a birthday.
0: Oh, okay.
2: So you can say what you want. Something's going on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when did the guitar come into your life?
2: Uh, it came into my life at age. I'm It's either seven or eight. I, I think I'll call it eight. And, uh, what happened was that I was at a after school, they, at the end of the school uh, semester before summer, at my school, they had something called Field Day, which is sort of a track and field thing. But I went to a hippie private school. So it was like, you know, people on blankets in a park with their dogs getting stoned and ignoring the two-legged race or three-legged race. You know, like it was, it was pretty D.C. hippie. Um, and they had a band. And this was the first time I saw electric live music. And I thought these guys were, you know, grownups, but they're probably 12. You know, who knows? They're probably the upper class, you know, they're from the high school. And it was a cover band. And I just, the story, I mean, I remember some of it, but uh, I kind of went into a trance. Like I just, I saw them setting up and I just sat down in front of them and I did not participate. I did not have the fried chicken leg. I did not do, you know, any of the, the, the limbo contest. Nothing. Uh, and I watched this band until they stopped and my parents pulled me away from them. Um, like obsessively, it was some weird thing. And that begat the, uh, so this is in what when school over June. Yeah. So imagine the stretch between June and Christmas when a young pre Bart Simpson, can I have a guitar? Can I have a guitar? Can I have a guitar? <laughs> Where's my guitar? Can I have a guitar? It worked. They broke down and they got me a rented guitar just in case uh, for Christmas. So that's that's where it all began.
0: What kind of guitar was it?
2: Epiphone. It was like an Epiphone copy of a Martin D eighteen.
0: Okay, so an yeah. acoustic. Yeah, acoustic. Okay, okay. Like any responsible parent would do. Yeah,
2: <laughs> rent an acoustic, and we'll see if he's interested.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, Chris, what was sense. your first guitar?
1: My first guitar, uh, I still have it. It's an Ibanez acoustic. Um, <clears throat> you know, it costs two hundred bucks at Guitar Center, and that was sort of the uh you know the 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 thing to do yeah i I didn't pick that up until i was 17 so you know uh not not quite as young a starter on it i I wish i had been but i you know i was a guy who had taken piano lessons as a kid and sort of faded out of that which i never did um if it's any consolation, I peaked at
2: about 10. <laughs> so all of this extra time hasn't really paid off. I mean, I'm truly, I, I haven't really gotten much better since I was a kid. But fortunately, I haven't needed to.
0: So. I, have, I have a hippie uncle who put a guitar in my hands when I was maybe eight or nine, but it didn't click until I was maybe in uh, seventh grade. My parents bought me an Ibanez electric guitar um, that was like a Strat style guitar, but it had humbuckers in it. And um, a like super a tar- strat, like a super strat, yeah. And uh, I was terrible on it, just absolutely, <laughs> you know, atrocious. And and then I I switched to bass, and bass became my thing for a long time. And then I came back to guitar, and I finally understood it after playing bass for a couple of years. Now, I, I, you are also a bass player, Brian, and so are you, Chris. Actually, all three of us are ambidextrous in that way. When did you start playing the bass?
2: Uh, I started playing bass when I went down to the basement of the guitar player in Minor Threats house, Lyle Pressler, uh, because I was going to be the bass player in the band. So I had been chosen to be the bass player. And so now let's go play the bass. And there was a bass in the room and I picked it up and it only had three strings because of, you know, tragic accident. And it's during its lifetime not, not even a tuner or saddle, just it's here we are three strings and I picked up the bass and I started playing it. And the singer in the band, whose bass it was, said, you know, you could play one note at a time rather than chords. It's more, that's kind of what the bass thing does. And I was like, oh, top tip. Thank you. And <laughs> after that, I was off. I was just playing the single notes. So how, did you, meet- guitar. how did you meet the other guys in Land of Threat? Um, I was the only... Punk person in Washington D.C. in 1980 who was not in a band already. <laughs> Last kid chosen for softball. <laughs> I mean, I went to. I was at the same high school as the guitar player, um, and Lau was a couple of years older than I am, and so he was already friends with Jeff and Ian um, because he'd been punk longer. And they were going to use him. They they three were going to do a new band, and so I think I just came up because I was. I was more freshly punk
1: and uh, hadn't been chosen for another team yet. So that's how I got it. Nice. Yeah. I, I have a follow up for that, but I'm just going to throw in my uh, I I recorded a record with it, with the band that I'm currently in with three other guys um, in Freehold, New Jersey. And I am not, I'm not a New Jersey expert, but you know, we know a guy down there who has a studio and the board we used, I don't know if you ever recorded through it because I'm not entirely clear on the timeline that that board was at Discord, but there's a picture of Joe with the studio and Freehold and Ian uh, exchanging the, this board that he had bought off of him. So there is a board that used to be a Discord's studio um, hmm. back then that is in use in New Jersey that I had the, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to get to play through. So I, that, that's, that's that's my little possible minor threat connection.
2: (laughs) Well, that's a good one. And I wish I knew exactly what piece of equipment it was, but there was, you know, time is elastic as we know. And um, there's great Indian food in Freehold
1: next time you're recording. All right. Good to know.
2: Indian place within about 50 miles. It's called Aru. All right. Thank you.
1: Um, But yeah, the the, the follow-up specifically there, you know, um, everybody has those bands, you know, I know people who, you know, I, I was born in 1984, so, you know, I, I, I was a bit of a latecomer to, <laughs> to Minor Threat, um, but I know people who were, in you know, involved in going to shows, whether it was D.C. or other cities, uh, that, you know, going to a Minor Threat show, going to a Black Flag show, um, that kind of thing was absolutely essential to them when they were young. So w- what bands... We're, did that for you, you know, and the gap between, uh, you know, learning Taxman uh, as your first song mm-hmm. on the guitar and, and meeting the guys in Minor Threat.
2: It's funny. Um, I didn't really go to any shows. Um, I, I, I just didn't go to the, I didn't, I didn't go to the big concerts and the first uh, in, so I, I start playing at eight and at tw- 12, the first concert I go to is Santana at, uh, I think, I, I don't remember the venue, in, um, in Detroit. And I wound up playing with Santana at the show. So the first, <laughs> wait, wait a second. The first Slow down show I went to, I played <laughs> on stage with the headliner. How did that happen? Short story. I was in a cover band in, this, in the high school I was in. The drummer's dad owned the best seafood restaurant in Detroit. The Santana people have been going there every year when they visit. And I know this is a musician. We find a great place and we keep going back for decades. They got backstage passes from the drummer's dad. You know, they give the drummer's dad backstage passes. We go to the show. They're showing us around and they open the door to a tuning room with a bunch of guitars in it. And I'm 12. I look nine Uh, They have long hair. And I just go up and start playing guitar, like without any idea that you don't do that. Don't touch these things. You know, I just had no idea. And I went and played guitar and someone watched a couple people gathered around with laminates on and was like, Hmm. Hmm. That small man is playing guitar. (laughs) I didn't think anything of it, but at the encore, we were watching from the side of the stage. And at the encore, I saw the drummer from my cover band, up on stage by the bongos. And I'm like, oh my God, he's going to get in trouble. What the, you know, I couldn't believe it. And I'm watching him up there still just staggered. And someone's putting a guitar on me. And they push me out in the middle of the stage with a little boogie amp. And I'm standing on the stage. And Carlos Santana leans down and goes, what's your name? I go, Brian. He goes, this is my friend, Brian. And they started playing a song and I jammed to it. (laughs) <laughs> I would like to say it's Black Magic Woman because it's a better story, but I don't know. Uh, but it was the first song of their encore. So you'd think you'd want to give them something, you know, something powerful. But uh, the only, and it's all true because I have pictures of it. I didn't make it up. And they're uh, actually on the web. I'm sure you can find, this story is not super new. Um, but yeah, that was that was it. That was, uh, and then after that, I saw before I went punk, um, I, I think I went to, uh, I think, I, I think I, I don't know. I, I, some reason I think I went to see ACDC, um, right. I, I, some reason I have a memory of Bond Scott ACDC, but I don't know if that's just conflated. You know, I'm so old now that I don't know what's true or not. You know, <laughs> like I see a picture that prompts me. I'm like, Oh, of course I was there. I was at Gettysburg address. <laughs> it was great. It was very short, but I don't really know if it's true or not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, uh, a couple of times today, you've said about going punk, how yeah. going punk was like a thing that you, you almost had to, to declare like a major in college, right? You Absolutely. are going punk. What was the reaction of other people when you said, I'm a punk now?
2: Well, I became a punk to fit in with the subculture, because there had been a period, and this will actually, when we discuss baseball, this will kind of apply. I grew up in D.C., uh, my father worked in television, and so he was a news producer. So we moved to Detroit in 77, and I left my school, so I left in sixth grade, whatever it is. When I came back in 79, uh, 80, everyone in, all my friends were punk, and I was there with like a Blue Oyster Cult shirt and shoulder-length hair like, hey, man, so Sid Vicious, huh? <laughs> what's that about? But uh, I was quickly converted. And it was, as I said, it was a small private school. And so there's probably 30 people in my class. And so when your old five of your old friends have shaved their heads or, you know, doing their thing, it just, it opened the door. And I mean, I, I showed up in the middle of the school year. Um, So I came to DC in February of 80. And by summer, I was just punk. I dyed my mom, you know, used my mom's hair dye and was wearing some of her clothes with like little zippers up the back. And, you know, I just, it just hit me. It was another thing. It was kind of like watching that band at field day, just that Mm -hmm. my, fortunately I had friends who had done all the homework. So I go over to their house after school and they're playing me all of this insanely beautiful stuff. The ruts, clash, lurkers, adverts. Um, local DC stuff. I mean, the Teen Idols existed, and I didn't even know that I was living in a place. You know, it just developed from there.
0: Now, um, before you joined Bad Religion, I, I want to talk about something that I just recently read about. I was trying to do, you know, be a good host, do some research here, and it turns out you, you don't were have off- to do that. Come oh, on, no, wing no, it. No, it turns out you. Were, it seems you were offered a gig with REM, playing with them. I was offered a uh, the
2: a gig to be the uh utility infielder right like come off the bench when someone wants to play mandolin i'll take their guitar from them so it was it was kind of like when people asked me about it i was like you know how when you see green day there's like nine people on stage and they're a three piece (laughs) yeah okay i was going to be number seven for rm
0: which is a great
2: gig mind you right right and i was incredible i was working in a rehearsal studio um and uh i had was not really doing that well emotionally, uh, or creatively for the most part. And, uh, and that came and it was amazing. And of course I was really excited that I got the gig. And then, uh, the only, the bad religion thing came up a few weeks later before I had gone, they, they, they hired me and they're like, okay, we're going to take a couple months off. We'll see you in Athens, you know, in in September Mm -hmm. or whatever it was. And so during that time, bad religion called and I took that because it was a member, you know, I was going to write, right. Five man band. I will be
0: number five, not number 8.2. <laughs> so I uh, what I find interesting about that is, and I remember being a, a kid in high school, reading guitar player, one of the guitar magazines interviewed with Rick Ocasek. And he said that when he was making a solo record, Trouble he picked his favorite players he had produced and you were on that record. Yeah. And I so To it seems like your playing attracts people who aren't necessarily punk purists you know that that they they're able to hear and you're playing something that is you know um that is very i, I don't want to say a chameleon because that, that that implies that there's not that you don't have a signature style and i think your playing is very signature but you you're playing can can act differently in different settings you're very adaptable that's what i was for. you're a very adaptable player when did you start to play guitar that wasn't so in like the punk paradigm. Like after you went punk, when did you start to break from that a little bit?
2: Well, the thing I think I, that speaks to what you just said is that I really do the same thing no matter what band I'm in. Uh for the most part, it's all the same thing and it's a skill set that I learned before I became interested in punk rock. And so I and I wasn't really joking like I I was really good fast from like 8 to 10 or 12. Oh, let's put it this way, at 12 I was on stage playing with Carlos Santana. Okay? <laughs> So I was, I had already reached a pretty, and, and that's, as I said, again, that's where it ended. But so I was Angus young. I was George Harrison. Uh, I was a uh, little Billy Gibbons. Uh, you know, I'm, I was a big Ace Frehley kid, like when I was younger. So that's what I brought in. That's what I had in me. And then when I started to play punk, I just got that whole new thing and dumped it on top of it, but all that underlying kind of, uh, You know, I have kind of a classic rock and sort of, you know, blues lawyer kind of uh, sensibility about my playing. And I'm now have done it for so long that I know not to just play Thunderstruck when someone says play a solo. Like I I know that uh, that I just kind of trust myself to, to whatever comes out has now been refined enough to kind of mask mask the origins. But I think that's really that's really all I do. i don't I don't really change what I'm doing for for any particular thing. I mean within obviously with, within tempo or you know, I can read a room, but the <laughs> skill set is very limited
0: I I, I I can prove that's not true from the number of records you have played on and the, the number well, of iconic go. songs and all that. but <laughs> uh, let's go, Mets. What are we talking about here? Come on. I'm Alex Rodriguez.
1: The Nationals had, had not moved out of Montreal yet, um, anywhere near uh, this time. But, you know, how do you start getting into being a Mets fan uh, growing up in D.C.?
2: Well, I wasn't a Mets fan until I moved to New Jersey.
1: Oh, and so I, you're a I, recent convert.
2: Oh, yeah. No, I, I I said, I want that. That's what I, I want. That misery. That's me. That's who I am. Uh no, I was very into baseball when I was little. My father uh, was a third baseman and he played in college and he went to the, uh, he went to, uh, the University of Houston and he got scouted uh, and he got invited to the Cardinals camp. And so this has got it. My dad's, well, he's been dead for a long time, but so this is in the 50s, right? Uh, and he went to camp and he found out there that he was not nearly good enough to be a professional baseball player but he always was into baseball. And when I was very little, I was too. So I don't have memories of it, but he took me to Senator's games. Mm -hmm. uh, And we, you know, I had, we played catch a lot. I had the glove. I'm a left-hander. You know, he was very interested in, you know, basically uh, I throw left-handed. So he's like, you're going to be a first baseman. Um, But what happened was that uh, when the senators split for Texas, the baseball spigot turned off and I'm like, like, it just wasn't, I mean, well, obviously we didn't have it at home, but my dad wasn't like, my dad hated Texas because that's where he was from. My mom and dad were from Houston and they had clawed out of Texas. They had done everything. they would lost their accents. They'd clawed to the, you know, the, the liberal East coast, you know, they were involved in media. And I think that they just didn't want people to know that they were Texans because they didn't, they really, the, the job was complete. Like they taught me to speak. And you're not seeing a lot of y'all going on. So the baseball was turned off in my life. When we moved to Detroit, baseball's back on because we've got the Tigers and dad is a traditionalist. He's a Ty Cobb, you know, and he's like, like, you know, Charlie Geringer, remember him? No, that was in 1926. I don't remember Charlie (laughs) Geringer, but uh, we kind of, uh, we became Detroit fans. And so that era is like, I remember it's, um, I guess Mark Fidrich is probably the most famous Mm -hmm. tiger of that time. Um, Though I did find out after I became a Mets fan that I probably watched Rusty Staub play because he was on the tigers at that time, but I have no recollection of it. Uh, So I was back into baseball and then punk hit and sports are off. Nope. Sports. No, no way. Jocks bad. No, thank you. No more sports, no more baseball. And I just didn't become interested until I moved to New Jersey as a very old man. I said, I'm moving here to die in New Jersey at the beach. And I'm going to be interested in baseball again, because that's an excellent thing to be into if you don't really have a day job and you're old. And I had my choice of, you know, A-Rod's Rangers or the Amazing Mets. I mean, this was not a hard choice for me. The Mets represented everything uh, to me that, you know, it's the, just the, the trials and tribulations and the, the incredible ups and downs. So I love Keith Hernandez. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, Gary Keith and Ron actually probably did more to get me into it than anything. Cause that's the first thing, like I'm now a Mets fan. I'm going to watch and listen to this. And those guys were just such an incredible. Oh, they're the best. They're just absolutely the best. Um, and so it just became like, it, it, it took really quickly Like I didn't have to try very hard. I just got sucked in and I started going to games. Um, And a lot of my friends around here are Mets fans, though there are some Philly people, which is a whole nother conversation um, (laughs) because we're kind of near, you know, the shore is the shore, but it's sort of central and you get some Philly. Yeah. um, But, you know, I could go on for hours about that, but I'm not going to unless I'm, (laughs) unless I'm there's questions. Of
1: course, I'll answer. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's um, that's it. I, I like that i think um john oliver had a really good reason to you know that when he was asked how he became a mets fan um having come over from the uk and he his answer was basically that it was the only morally acceptable thing to do uh living in new york city and yes. and deciding that he was going to start liking a team but it, it had to be the mets um so i yeah i always no like that
2: I, yeah it couldn't and also just i you know i just had a better now i No, I remember when we were back into baseball, when I was in Detroit, that I liked the Yankees a lot. And I, I used to, I know, you know, this is the like catfish hunter Thurman Munson zone. Mm -hmm. And I, I was still kind of playing like Sandlot baseball and I styled my entire setup and stance, like Mickey rivers. Like I did the exact, if I had a bat here. I could do it for you. This exact Mickey rivers thing he used to do like when he was cocked and ready. Um, so I didn't have a predisposition to not liking the Yankees. It's when I got up here, I was just like, I can't, I mean, I, I, you just, it's just not who I am. I am a, I am born to be a Mets fan.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're, they're the underdog team. They're the team that are full of bad luck, but also luck. glorious highs. Like when the Mets are good, there's nothing better.
2: Yeah. Great story. And, you know, I mean, now, of course, I love the uniforms and the colors, but when I first hear it's like, Oh God, it's um, orange and this weird blue that no one ever wears and like I'm in I don't care if this hat doesn't match anything <laughs> and now of course I'm, I just every time I see it I smile I watch every game that I can including last night's game
0: which was quite the game <laughs> take that you fucking hoagie eating mother <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: and of course we had to watch it on ESPN so we have got A-Rod And just, it's, it's, I, I did, I, I tried to put Howie on and and sync it up Mm -hmm. with the TV, but I kept getting like, it just kept not working. And it would be like, there's the hit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My OCD kicked in, so I couldn't do it, but yeah, it's, the ESPN is not the place to watch uh, Mets baseball. I will
1: tell you that. No, it is certainly not. It, It is not. It was, I, I, Luckily, he was listening to that game on the radio for for the yeah. first two thirds of it, uh, and then I did it I successfully sync it up with with ESPN <laughs> after that. But uh, you know, Howie Howie and Wayne were even you know taking open shots without saying the name ESPN. Yeah. Uh, they they were being pretty pretty good about it. So.
0: Yeah. What was weird is that they had to watch the ESPN feed right. because right. they can't travel. So it's yeah. the only time you're ever listening to radio announcers watching televised baseball.
2: Yeah. Well, this is the time we're in. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it's I can't wait till uh, Gary Keith and Ron get to be sitting at the ballpark while the game is being played. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be exciting.
0: Now, um, is there a is there a Met or two right now that are your particular favorites? Like, who are your guys right now on the team?
2: Well, um, I'm a huge Conforto fan, and I was right when I first started. I've always thought this guy. I actually did some interviews about the same idea, like Punk Mets. What's wrong with you? In uh, in 2019, and I'm like, Conforto's going to blow up, like it's it's his time. And you know, when I saw this, you know, this very this we've only played like a game, and people are bitching about what's going on, you know. And I see Conforto's just like, okay, I'm just still tying my shoes. Just hold on a second, and now. He's got this rhythm and I just, I just think he's great. I just, uh, everything he does is uh, I I don't know. It's just, I like his personality. I like that. He doesn't talk a lot. I like his stance. I like the way he, he doesn't, he takes every, every catch, every catch seriously. Do you see that? Like in the sun catch he'd got days ago, which is just like, how, how do you even find a ball? But he's very, he's really pro. And so I like him. um, And I'm of course, you know, I'm in love with Alonzo. Uh, I mean, uh, there's not, I think Giorme might be my favorite Matt right now because of many things that we all, I'm sure the people watching know that just that guy, what can't he do and his attitude and those, the handlebar mustache he shaved into last year was just mm-hmm. like, yeah, there's my Matt right there. <laughs> love him. I, I don't really have a Met that I don't like.
0: It's a very likable team this year.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm done being mad at Diaz in 2019. Mm-hmm. I was just just thanks. You know, <laughs> thank you. But uh, I'm over being mad at him. I'm even I'm not even mad at Familia
0: anymore. <laughs> I, I'm letting it like, oh that's growth, man.
2: Familia's coming in. All right, let's honey. I need some of the popcorn. Like I <laughs> I'm not screaming and texting with all my I have, you know, a big Mets running text that goes i'm sure all of us do while the games are going and yeah. it used to be a real sore point for us when we'd see either of those guys come up but uh now you know they they're better now maybe that's part of it
1: yeah yeah i think even after all that chaos last night i had confidence in familia which is something that i probably haven't felt in in a while um sure because I, I i did back you know when he put up those three or four years in a row where he was very good uh yeah. you know and and Had some blown saves and big spots, obviously, but through that time, I was, you know, I defend him to other Mets fans, that kind of thing. But the the last year or two, it was a very different experience where it looked like he might be toast. And I don't know that this bullpen has been pleasantly surprising. There's a long way to go, but yeah, Loop, look at him. Yeah,
2: I I like I, I like Trevor May. I like I don't I honestly don't think that there's anyone I have a problem with right now. Um, which is amazing because that's, you know, my stock and trade is having a problem with something. You know, that's why people keep asking me on. It's, it's <laughs> I don't know what it, it's the pink cloud, I guess, you know, phase of my, of my coming a met fan, but it's, uh, it's great. I can't wait for tonight.
0: Yeah. It's going to be great. And t- tomorrow's the Gram, which is, you know, yeah. An event every time. And how about this?
2: Here's a good, here's a good thing DeGrom, I need an extra day. No problem. I mean, that's sane management, that's sane front office to me. Yes, of course. You know, I was a little surprised to see Diaz last night, but, you know, I'm not the manager. And yet I don't know as much about baseball as the baseball players do and the (laughs) managers do. I'm a punk rock guitar player. I live in New Jersey.
0: (laughs) Well, I actually wanted to talk about the punk rock and baseball. because There are a lot of punk guys who are into baseball. I mean, you know, I I grew up playing in punk bands and at the time, like you said, you could not be into sports and be in a band. That was just those things things didn't mix. But I feel like baseball has been the sport of choice for the musician. And I don't know if that's because when folks are on the road, it's something that can occupy you on off days or you can listen to after the gig. Or if it's, I don't know what, why do you think, do you give a, a theory as to why baseball just fits with musicians so well?
2: Well, It's interesting you brought that up, and I've never really thought about it, but like many things, I'll talk about it like I know. Here's what it is. Uh, Tradition. Baseball has been there forever, okay? So we're talking about something that's a product of the 19th century that's, you know, reasonably unchanged, which I think is great. Uh, And there's so much baseball to learn. If you get hooked, you have the story and the, uh, the personalities and the players, this, this whole historical reference, it just seems um, it's just, it's like people who are fans of history. You find a lot of musicians who are interested in history too. And when you travel from city to city, there's another thing. It's like, this is where the old ballpark was. This is where the polo grounds were. This is, you know, when you're Chicago exactly day off, we're going to Wrigley field. Even if I'm not before I was a, back into baseball. I saw Cubs games and, and Red Sox games because they were close to the venues. I mm-hmm. was, you know, and it's just, uh, I think the pace of it is great The people aren't dressed up like monsters, you know, and these, you know, all of this padding and shit going on. Um, there's, you know, this perception of a, of a gentleman's game, which I think, uh, you know, there's a certain swagger to that. I think that musicians are, you know, when I think of people who are cool, like, let's say uh mike campbell right mike campbell that guy just walks into a room with his you know a bunch of suede shit and a couple feathers and a really good hat from those guys in texas and he's just amazing he's just got this thing and i think baseball it just it has it it's it's the uniforms the accessorizing the way the players can just go, I mean, I've never seen anything quite like it. Now, now, of course, I'm like, you know, stop, stop with all that jewelry. It's must be heavy and it's dumb looking. But that's their punk rock. That's their necklace with the lock on it, you know, and the hair color. That's their thing. I mean, it's it's I, I just think it's uh, I I guess that's what attracts me. That that it's the, it's a team, but there's individual. Uh, you know individuals excel within a strict team uh, situation which is again also like a musician like mm-hmm. a band
0: being in a band yeah it's um i love and this is what's been so weird about this season is i love the rhythm of the baseball season like once you get into the routine of the baseball season it kind of takes over your life my wife always says to me like, oh so we're not going to watch movies now until October. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, this is just my nights are now occupied for the next six months, you know, but I I love the way it takes over. It just takes over your life for a little while.
2: I think the fact that it's a summertime game when, you know, music, professional musicians do a lot of business in the summers, you know, it's not as much of a cold weather sport, uh, which is really true, especially me traveling in other countries, you know, in Europe, like there's almost really, it's almost a given that you're not really working because there aren't any festivals there's nothing going on when it's cold out mm-hmm. um, so that's probably part of it too um, yeah also hats the baseball hat the cap um that's it's very the, punk it's the best hat. Every punk band sells a baseball hat with something punk written on it <laughs> they do the job where when did that come in you know
0: now you know with covid slowing down everything um how are you feeling about reentering the, the touring world as a musician? Do you have hesitation? Are you ready to go? Where, where are you feeling with everything?
2: Well, I'm ready to go when the touring environment is such that people who are going to concerts feel safe being there and whatever form that takes. I mean, if I have to play five nights to 100 people in, you know, a thousand seat venue or whatever it is, I'll do that. That's fine. Um, but the primary thing is audience safety i mean i'm vaccinated i'm not you know i'm not worried about me at all i'm worried about there being people who are not vaccinated who are uh who are low information or misinformed who can be this you know i mean you could be a uh you could be a carrier for some variant i mean there's all this this weird science math that um there just needs to be a system in place that can make it reasonable that going to a concert, you're not going to die because you wanted to see Smash Mouth. <laughs> though I could speak to that, but in general, you know <laughs> that's not how you should go out.
1: should right. be it should be,
2: <laughs> it should, it should be uh, that kind of environment. And so to me, that means a lot of outdoor shows, um, which I am most of, most of my stuff uh, in bad religion, I just mentioned, like in the summer, we're always in Europe and we're doing primarily outdoor stuff. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I I think that's realistically going to be in place for 2022. We thought we could do it in 2021, but obviously anyone's paying attention that there's been some European, everyone's struggling. I mean, still no one has the answer to this. Where I live in New Jersey, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty tight. Lots of people vaccinated and uh, people are paying attention, but, you know, I don't know about Fort Worth. I right. can take a guess.
0: I mean, I, I don't know about New York. You saw the the hardcore show that happened there a few weeks ago.
2: Yeah, I did. And I would never have gone to that um, or put it on. But, I, you know, I'm not a New York hardcore guy. I like, right. I like, well, I like cro and Agnostic Front because they have great records, but I'm not part of that scene. Um, you know, their attitude is, is if, if you don't want to get sick, don't go but they're kind of skipping over the part about giving it to other people Mm -hmm. being incubators. I don't think that they've really taken it the next step. Um, It was exciting to watch, you know, I mean, it it was just seeing that kind of motion and that kind of energy again is exciting, but it was sort of like, I don't know what, I can't really think of a parallel. Like it's not
1: real. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's hard to think of parallels for anything these days. You know, it's, it's, we're all sort of feeling it out as we, as we go through it. I think Brian and I are on the same page in terms of, you know, uh, playing in much, much, much smaller bands, but figuring out, okay, what does that look like? You know, the, the, the shows that my band would normally play on, on at least like a monthly basis, obviously that didn't happen last year. You know, are the, are they going to happen this year? If so, how do you go about that? Because I think, you know, on that larger scale, it, it, where where you do this professionally and you're out there it's yeah. a little bit easier you know the a band can get together and have okay this is what we need to to go right. play this show you know but there are people involved who might do all that logistical work and then present it to you guys one, you know. benefit,
2: one thing i'm i've been talking to about some fr- with some friends and one benefit i guess just the status of where i am is that i have my bands are booked by big agencies who want to make a lot of money and don't want to get sued and they're private companies. So they can say, all right, well, you can't come to this show unless you have this app that they've just developed that says that you are not, you know, that, that you have been vaccinated and that you are not exhibiting, you know, that you've been tested like something. I mean, everyone, the freedom people, are you know the the idea of vaccine passport, which to me is completely reasonable, that's offending so many so many patriots. Uh, when we're talking about going to a concert, that's that you don't get to make that choice. Like if you want to go see the band, you have to be okay to go see the band. And so that's one way I think that things are probably going to develop for me um, in shows that I play. There's going to be some sort of system, I think, and it's going to be a, private industry is going to be the
0: one. That develops and distributes that yeah so before we let you go let's go to a quick catch up on your bands right now what's going on with bad religion are you guys talking about doing some making some music over lockdown Are you just taking a break until you can tour again where is bad religion falling right now
2: um well we have done um this was going to be great because i've forgotten donnie's last name
0: the new coach Donnie stevenson
2: yeah, I was just going to say, well, you know, we're going to take a page from the Donnie Stevenson manual and tell you God, how great is that, by the
0: way? <laughs> it's the best. I've I been mean, watching Pete sell it. It's so on, great. On ESPN last night when, when Steve Levy had no idea what he was talking about, just, you know i i
2: i think that that is Mets to me that is so great that they've pulled that out and that i just i love it so much but uh i've got to have a shirt i'm sure that you know the seven line has made a shirt by
0: now i'm sure there'll be about five Donnie stevenson shirts out by the end of the week but
2: of course we can only wear one of them because the other four have a logo on them but they still don't get that like i'm a punk merchandiser i can tell you you don't need your logo on you put the good stuff on the front and you, you don't have a logo maybe like this you know when you put it right take <laughs> that nike uh as for bad religion uh we're waiting till we can tour uh we had a tour booked a u.s tour booked for april of 2020 that might take place if the system if the infrastructure is right in october or might not we'll find out uh we had stuff this summer that that aren't isn't happening uh in the during this long pandemic, what we've done is like many bands, um, we have recorded live concerts and made them available and you can pay and see them. And then after they're no longer fresh, then they're just free. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we've uh, we've done, we did one uh, at the end of last year and it was called decades and it was four shows. And each show was a different decade of the band's career. And we have another one uh, coming up that, I think we'll be out this summer and it's called decades two. Um, And I want it to be T O O. I don't really care about, you know, I don't care about Jim Carrey. I still think it's funny to be decades two. Uh, And it's the same thing, but because our catalog is so big, it's the other songs from each decade that we didn't, uh, that we didn't touch on. And there's even more. So you never know. There could be a three. If this thing drags
0: out decades, three decades, nine,
2: yeah, so that's what's up with us. We're waiting to play. Uh, in good news is, I'm in a bunch of other bands, and uh, I have a band here at the beach uh, called Beach Rats. Strangely enough, and these are guys who live right around the corner for me. It's Pete and Brian from the Bouncing Souls, and Ari from Lifetime, and a good friend of ours, Dubs, who plays drums. And we put an EP out on Bridge Nine a couple of years ago, I think in 2018, but we have a full new album that we recorded during the pandemic that will be out uh, on epitaph and it should be out at the end of the summer. Um, And I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's great. It's just, uh, it's just New Jersey hardcore. It's really, and it's, that's different from New York hardcore, different from DC. There's a certain strain and that's what this sounds like. And probably because most of the band are people from really popular New Jersey hardcore bands. (laughs) That's, you know, I'm gonna ex- I'm gonna experiment with this and see if it works. Oh, it worked. How nice. Uh and I have another band also on Epitaph. I wonder how I keep getting these deals with Epitaph. It's really
0: <laughs> it's, I, it's I don't really know, mysterious. I
2: guess Just lucky, I guess. Uh this band is called Fake Names. And we released a record. Uh unfortunately, it came out right as the pandemic started in April of 2020. So our entire touring thing was shot but it's a band, uh, that's more of a, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's, it's like more of a rock band. And the singer is Dennis Lixon from Refused. So he's a Swedish rock star. Um, and he's amazing. And it's myself and two of my friends who were at that field day when the band was setting up. Uh, and this is Michael Hampton, uh, who was, a very, very important, uh, DC hardcore musician. He was an SOA with Henry Rollins, uh, he was in embrace with Ian McKay. He was in the faith. Uh, and then our bass player is Johnny temple who, uh, besides, uh, he was a great, I think he was a great younger than us, but, uh, besides being a Georgetown day school alumni, he has been in uh, a band called soul side. Very, very important. Uh, later DC band and girls against boys, uh, which he still is in. Um, and he is, uh, He's just a, such a great bass player. And we had to, you know, if we could only find a drummer from DC that we went to school with, we'd be in perfect shape but we don't really have a permanent drummer. So uh, this record, we have an EP, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm wandering. I'm, Cause I'm so, look at me, I'm just like, oh, my friends. I'm just like thinking like, wouldn't it be nice to see them again? <laughs> uh, we recorded an EP, which will be out uh, also in the summer on Epitaph uh, for the fake names project. And that's, uh, it's more adults oriented. Okay, so you guys can. You guys are fine. You can listen to
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, uh, the fake names, the the record, the the full length is is really fun. I, I was telling you before we started. I've been playing it all week around the house, and uh, my son was. My son is five, and he was rocking out to it a little bit before. Uh, his taste. Vary from Disney songs to Jump by Van Halen to his favorite song in the world is Chris's band. there one of their songs. He he's obsessed with this with this punk song <laughs> called Hot Queso, and he just walked on the house with Hot Queso, Hot Queso. It's amazing. So that's great. That's you, yeah. you've done well. You're I'm trying. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying. I,
1: I approve. Obviously yeah. of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Brian, where can folks find you online if they want to learn when? gigs happen again where they can see you where they can get your records what's the best place to find you on the internet
2: you know i'm uh i'm ubiquitous i don't know what to tell you i'm everywhere uh i'm not the source of that information by the way because i like i couldn't tell you like what city i'm playing in i just know a general like a gauzy idea of like you'll be gone for these months uh you would go to epitaph.com which is our record label and they have a full uh they will have uh, full everything you need to know about bad religion for uh and also about fake names and beach rats uh and i think that there each band has individual instagram and twitter accounts um which i'm not going to embarrass us by telling you what they are because you're social media users so you understand what a search engine is and so you'll find out like when you look for me it's on twitter it's brian x baker like straight edge X because someone named Brian Baker had already taken the first one, but that'll, it'll tell you that I don't have to. And on Instagram, I'm Brian Baker's with an S same problem. Some rogue Brian Baker, that tennis player. Uh, There's another musician in Australia named Brian Baker. Who's an older gentleman. Who's uh, more of a singer songwriter. Aspiring, I suppose. Um, You'll find me. And uh, I talk a lot of shit on on, uh, all of these platforms. So
0: in there, you can get also information about what's coming up. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Thank you again to Brian for making the time. It was so much fun chatting with him. Go to his social media uh, sites that he mentioned before. He specifically said he's going to let you search for them. So I'm going to do the same thing. Search him out on Twitter and Instagram. He is on both of those places. He is very entertaining on both of those places. Also, make sure to go see his bands when the world goes back to normal. Nothing is better than live music, especially when it's played with such energy and such passion. And that's what Brian has in spades. So go check out his bands when the world opens up. And you can find AmazingAvenue.com for everything Mets you need. Find this podcast and other Amazing Avenue podcasts on uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Amazing Avenue is on all the social media platforms. Find us there. You know how to, as Brian said, you know how to search for this stuff. So um, follow Chris on Twitter at Chris McShane. Follow me on Twitter at Brian it's an app And until next time, let's go Mets.